Supercharged, a podcast focusing on renewable energy and the passion behind the movement. Supercharged is a thoughtful journey through renewable energy sustainability and an integrated lifestyle. Subscribe and listen each week as we chat with thought leaders, influencers, and those who simply choose to live a better way. And hopefully along the way, you too will be inspired to live Supercharged. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Supercharged. My friend Evan Kubasek is here with me today. Evan, share a little bit about yourself with our guests. I am the Indiana Jones of social entrepreneurship. I like that aspect of jumping into the classroom and then trying to not grade as much as possible and then escape out the window and jump on the plane and go to the furthest parts of the world. But rather than antiquities and archaeology, business and sustainable business and social impact is my, that's my jam. That's what I love. And you're currently a prophet at Eastern Illinois University, right? Correct. Yeah. I teach marketing entrepreneurship courses at Eastern Illinois. We're in the middle of everything and close to nothing. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not too much of a stretch to talk about it, you know, podcast on sustainability talk about, let's talk about a, a professor of social entrepreneurship, but, yeah. and your, your background is so varied. I mean, let's, Let's just kind of take a little walk down memory lane, like memory some of the lane, places okay. you lived and where, where you're currently living and family. Sure. Kind of made it kind of make a loop. Uh, so we started off, uh, my wife and I met when we were in high school. We got married young while we were in college, launched a coffee shop with some friends. So did that for about five years and uh, finished both of us finished our university time completely debt free, which enabled us to be able to dive into the humanitarian and missions world and do a lot of things overseas with uh, you know, very, very little income um, to be able to back us, but we had no debt. So we weren't striving to pay anything off. I think that's huge. I think that's, that's a part of the, just a sustainable lifestyle is being very intentional with how you live. Um, if you're not intentional with the way you live life, then just a lot of things kind of pile up or just you've limited yourself. So I think for, traditionally in the business side, People like you want to earn as much as you possibly can so you're not limited in what you can do. Well, there's two sides of that equation. You know, you can also not have a lot of debt, which enables you to do a lot of things with less, with less income. You know, that affects you later on in life. But when you're early 20s, you don't really think so much about retirement and, and diving into things. So that was kind of the, the journey looking at uh, living life overseas and um, initially we were like, all right, so we'll, we'll take this experience of running a coffee shop. And there's so many people that get in the social impact space that start there, or they start with the, you know, we're going to make handicrafts or we're going to find some local trade where, and then ship that back to wherever country we live in. And you know, that was, you know, kind of the starting point. Then I quickly grew out from there, realizing that, you know, just business in and of itself is good and it can be used in such a positive way to make positive change. So yeah, the background has varied a lot from traditional retail to food, to technology, to agriculture, to education, to some government consulting. So there's been a lot of different industries that I've played in uh, over the last, I would say, 15 years or so. So when you you kind of touched on the, just the whole ethos behind you know, sustainability, even from a personal standpoint, but yeah. I've got to believe that, that that has been shaped over a few years and just the, the different places you've lived and you know, how, walk us through, uh, I mean, I, Nepal comes to mind. I mean, when living sure. in Nepal and seeing poverty and seeing, 
you know, just the, the different ways that people live. I mean, how has that shaped you? I would say for me, a big, a big tipping point, a shifting point for me was actually what we were doing a school in Thailand. So we were in Chiang Mai, so Northwest corner of Thailand and uh, ended up doing, uh, you know, some exploratory work in Indonesia and learning and seeing what uh, response after a disaster. So there was a tsunami of 2000, I think five, 2004, 2005, I think it was 2005, and then getting to see how they responded to that effect with a uh, with a business approach, but also it was a, it was a very sustainable approach. Of there was a lot of not for profits, a lot of NGOs, international NGOs that shown up, and they were trying to rebuild what was left of Sumatra after an incident like that. It's massive, and um, some of the guys that were there that already had a business previously were just noticing how much stuff was getting imported, things that they already had raw materials to make. There's no reason to be importing these things. We could make windows, we can make doors, we can make trim. So they actually went about 100 yards away from a really large refugee settlement camp, hired about 40, 50 guys, and built a lumber mill and just started making things there and stayed, stayed busy for four years straight yeah. and then spun off all these other businesses out of that. So seeing, seeing that and then also this, this um, I think a philosophical shift for me of, I, and I grew up with a, a Christian faith, and I think so much of a, a traditional Christian faith, at least in America, doesn't have a good framework for sustainability and taking care of the earth. There's a lot of Christians that have this view of like, well, God's going to clean up all this mess whenever he comes back and settles everything, so we can just kind of do whatever we want, because people matter more um, than the earth do, so the earth is kind of irrelevant as long as we're being good by people, we're good. And there was just kind of this shift of a, a more holistic viewpoint. Um, there's there's all these there's there's all these references and analogies to Jesus's teachings referring to a kingdom, and a, a a kingdom is completely different than a democracy or a republic or any other political, especially in a Western mindset, um, an, an American mindset, which is mine. The idea of a kingdom just doesn't make sense because I we're so fiercely independent. So I just kind of do what I want. I kind of add in. You add in religion to what you want to do in life and your independence. And in the kingdom, it's whatever the king's will is for you is kind of how, how you live. So I really started to see the, the faith that I had in a whole new light and see the aspect of it's making sure that the earth is taken care of and making sure that systems work together well, that um, it all is part of the story. And it's not having an aspect, having a view towards um, doing things well in that serve people well is also an expression of the faith that I actually had. I just didn't know that it was, that, that was part of it. So I think, so that, that was a big shifting point from, from there. So starting, so every time a new project came on, you know, available in life uh, from, from the business side of the consultant side, the community development side, even at the individual side, it's taking a much more um, well-rounded view of saying like how are all these interactions playing out and what do these tensions look like and you know what what's your personal life look like what's your family your community you know if you if you live in a place that's highly polluted sure I mean it's going to affect everything and that you're doing so it's that that's kind of kicked off everything I would say which did which led to a longer period of time of living in Nepal working with a technology company um, that was focused on really job creation but job creation and then leadership development and then challenging these young leaders to go out and to do 
sustainable investment projects in their own communities and do cleanup things. And it was it's just really cool to see when people get challenged to think differently and to be accountable to something. In in your uh, in your estimation, like when when you know countries are looking at or even communities are looking at at ways to kind of clean up their environment. It, it seems like that, that it's going to require more than simple government intervention. Yeah. What, what have you seen, you know, in the various places you've lived, even, even in the States? I mean, what have you seen has been like the best combination of a solution? It, you know, it can, it can kick off at any level. Um, so it can kick off at the individual person. It can kick off at a, a specific street. It can kick off with a specific governmental office trying to do something. So it, it, any one of those areas can be the starting point, but if it stays within one of those domains, it, it, it will never last. Like it has to get outside of one domain and start to impact another. Um, and that I think that's generally always the problem, especially in a developing economy or you know the, the majority world where you have a very, I don't know any place that really trusts their government implicitly, but I think there's very much a distrust for anything that the government is trying to initiate. You know, we, we doubt that it's actually going to be for our good. So even if they do initiate some type of program, um, there's got to be some nefarious or backdoor reason why they're doing right. it. You know, like, well, some government, some, so some business is going to buy out and kick us all about our houses. So that's why they want it cleaned up, not because they care about us. Um, or when people are trying to do something, they can't get the local government involved because it doesn't it doesn't lead to anything for the local politicians. So it's kind of knowing what those triggers are. Um, so in, in that regard, I think it's, it seems to be better. Um, and this is more anecdotal and, and I don't have hard, fast evidence to point to, but I see it works better when you just have people doing it um, because they really truly want to, um, but not not forcing anyone to do anything. It's just, I'm going to make my yard really, really nice. And then sometimes it's just a pride part on the person across the street. It's like, well, I'm going to clean up my yard too. And then once you've got enough people, it gets to that same idea of that tipping point where we've got four or five houses, yards, or businesses doing something. Then it kind of gets known as, well, that's, that's the clean area. And if they could do it, then we could do it. So people need to see it. If I can't see it, you know, asking right. someone to do something, you're not modeling. Right. Um, that's, that's a key right. part of it. It's it's interesting thinking back. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a few years, but thinking back at the just almost your journey through kind of the social entrepreneur space, it seems like to me, and this may be oversimplifying it, but it seems like to me that it, it wasn't it wasn't good for your bottom line to be, you know, to have a social entrepreneurial mindset or perspective a few years ago. It's like. So sure. what has been the shift right now that says, you know, actually it is good for your bottom line to, you know, it's that kind of quadruple bottom line, you know, mm -hmm. that does make sense right now. What, what do you think has caused that in the last 15 years or so? Um, I'm, everything's moving faster uh, in every area, um, you know, technology, social norms, everything just, just moves at such a, a just a quicker pace. So I think um, that's uh, certainly helped. Um, and, and it has gone, it has gone out from a, we just donate money, you know, we do what we want. And then, and there's, there's, there's just a generational shift too. I think a lot of my 
so students now are not millennials, right? They're 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 Ys and, and they're Zs. Um, and then we got alphas behind them now. Apparently, that's the modus, whatever that. We're gonna start is. again. Yeah, we just start <laughs> we, over. We ran out of letters. We just lost all creativity. <laughs> and um, Z two. But there's a in in Gen in Gen Z, there really is just a like that's just expected. It's just a part of life, and it's a part of life for them to be willing to take jobs that pay less, as long as that company that they work for, organization they work for is doing something that's good and worth doing. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of jobs. That's why we have uh, so much of suburbia just not being inhabited because that lifestyle that it was built off of isn't desired anymore. They would much rather live experientially or live um, communally or live in, live in a city in a smaller place and uh, a, a lack of belief in traditional marriage that's really shifted a lot of things for people and how they live life that um, they're willing kind of that same idea I started with they're willing to live on less um, financially to be able to be have access to um, experiences or opportunities that they are more interested in and knowing that that's going to be a part of you know making the world hopefully better on the ecological side Right, um, right. That's that's been a driving factor of it. So I, I've interviewed a number of people for this podcast, and you know, it, it, interesting to to talk about you know what they do in their personal life. I I believe you probably have the most unique living situation of anybody I've ever interviewed. So talk a little bit about that and kind of the reasoning behind you know your unique like uh, home situation. Sure. So we live in a geodesic dome. Uh, it was a it was a kit. I had zero construction experience whenever we started the house. What, what, you know, what, what drove us to this as an option was um, living that more humanitarian missional lifestyle where it was, and we weren't, I, didn't, I never felt drawn to a specific location. Uh, a lot of times people are very project oriented or geographically oriented, and I never felt that. It was more just a general, I love business and I love people that are trying to use business to make the world better. And many times that was people in the faith community. So it was very project oriented, it was back and forth. So that could mean two months in America, that could mean eight months in America, we had no idea. Um, and the income was always sporadic too. So anyways, we needed to have a house and we had no, no house and there was no, uh, no inheritance or death coming soon from any family members. So we were completely on our own to figure out the house thing and to do a house without a mortgage. Well, I mean, this is where most of the world lives this way. We need to have a house. We, we're not going to get a mortgage. So just seeing that overseas, well, how do they do? Well, they just built wall by wall until they had the house done. That's the way the majority of the world lives. I'm like, well, I could do that. That's not, I mean, I could figure that out. So going down this route of all these different ways we could do that. And I came across a gentleman about 45 minutes away from where we live that builds dome kits. So he's a you know, electrical engineer by trade, but worked himself out of a job and got fired multiple times solving problems that work. They're like, thank you very much. You solved the problem. Now we don't need you. So you're fired. And he's like, well, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So he got into alternative building and really liked domes and Buckminster Fuller and all that stuff yeah. back in the, back in the 60s, 70s, and um, just started making his own kits. And uh, so I went to see his house. It was the coolest thing ever. And uh, talked to him and said, I want to build a house for $20,000, which is insane. Like that's not... <laughs> He said, uh, we like, call well, that a tent, young man. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I think we get kind of close to that. We ended up going a little bit bigger size. 
Um, so we have a 2,000 square foot home. It's a geodesic dome that I ended up building building myself with, you know, with the help of some friends that knew specific trades. But it's kind of built as we went and paid for it as we went. And it took about four years, but we moved in completely debt free. Didn't do it completely well. Uh, had had some ventilation issues and a mold problem, so I had to gut it and kind of start over again. But we just finished a, another two year cycle of throwing away everything and starting over again, but we're still living debt-free in our, in our own custom home, um, which is just, it's been amazing to be able to have that freedom to be able to do something like that. Now, was this like within the drywall or like what's the, and you had to like tear all the drywall insulation yeah, out or what? Yeah, pulled all the drywall out of the actual dome part up in the site. It's a two-story house. Mm -hmm. um, so it was more up in, the, in the, the dome area and around the skylights that were the biggest issues. And it's like a bowl, right? And you put a you put a bowl over a piece of concrete, and you overnight then move the bowl away. Yeah, there's <clears> condensation. Condensation inside yeah. there, and there's no place for it to go. So that was the biggest issue. So most of that was up in the second floor areas. So what's the what's the uh, heating, cooling? What are what are the options? You know, how do you, is there a was there a well? Are you on city water? What's the what yeah? We live in a, it's a little farm town, so we have municipal water, but there's no septics. There's no sewer system, so it actually runs into a septic tank. Uh, which we had to do, put in a new one, one of those. Um, and then we, I ran, I ran piping through all the concrete pad. We poured our own pad um, for the, for the flooring. So we have it, I haven't hooked it up because it's just one more system to potentially go wrong. So I got a little gun shy after a while putting all these things there, but we, we have the option, the ability for radiant heat in our, in our house. Right now it's just a traditional forced air furnace and everything, but um, through this rebuilding process, we actually came across some interesting options around um, getting a hold of liquidated or close out things or even returns. Um, as in America, and this is America and, and Canada for sure, there's so many items that when we ship something back to Amazon or we return something at Home Depot, it does not go back on the shelf. It goes into a massive warehouse wrapped up on a pallet somewhere and someone buys it. Well, we got access to some of that stuff and started buying closeout returns or just shelf things pulled off the shelves and rebuilt in our house with really, really, I'm sitting in a $3,000 office chair currently. I would never spend $3,000 on an office chair in my life. There, there's nothing about that is appealing, but it's a really nice chair. You know, so when you get something like that on a, on, on a return auction type scenario, you know, no one, no one in central Illinois is going to spend anywhere near that much money on a chair. So I just kept it for myself. So we were able to pretty much rebuild our entire house with all the major appliances, everything um, with higher quality material, reusing stuff that's just part of the consumeristic American mentality that we, we profited off of that reality, be able to do something. So I think, I think that's just part of ethos. You know, like I... I look at what needs to be done, and then I think about, well, what are all the possible ways that I can accomplish that task? You know, do I, do I have to just go out and buy what's available, or can I look at something like I'll go, in, I'll go into the lumber yard and say, this is what I need to do. I want to accomplish this, and I want it to look like this. And like, well, we've got this product and this product, this product. We got, we got this one we could use. I ended up using... Um, it's a, it's a metal with a white coating on it. It's used a lot of times around gutters mm -hmm. externally for a house, but I wanted to trim out our inside of my skylights with a non, um, 
non-wood material, something that could deal with condensation better than what we've done previously, but look white and finished and like, well, you could, so we ended up using that. So I've got an exterior PVC coated aluminum gutter, but it's it's got like a wood grain embossed into the material. So it looks nice. I mean, it looks custom and finished, but it it's using materials in ways that they're not really, people don't think to use them in, but at the end result, you get the visual and the, you know, the function that you're looking for, because I don't know what I'm doing, right? When I go in, like most of the things, I don't know what I'm doing because I've never done it before. And that's actually a great asset for me is I don't have any preconceived ideas of how it has to be done. Right. I just know what, what the end result I'm looking for. And then track down all the possible ways that can that can work i mean that has so many applications that that's almost like a universal approach to problem solving here is that yeah. you know it's a how do you kind of wipe out the preconceived notions but so do you have any plans that like down the road to have any like alternative sources of uh, like i mean you're you're in King, illinois so i imagine wind sure. could be a possibility i mean when's the possibility they actually possibility. well they just opened up a massive solar farm just outside of our town they spent about a year and a half it's, I think it's one of the largest ones. It's definitely one of the largest ones in the state, if not one of the largest ones in the Midwest right now. It's, uh, I think it's over a thousand acres of solar panels. Um, it looks like a prison yard though. It's not attractive in any way. It's got massive barbed wire fences around a thousand acres of land. I think most viewers can even comprehend what a thousand acres, that's a lot. That's, you know, like from, you look here and you look all and you turn your head, <laughs> In all directions. You, see you can yeah, you can't now. really see the end of it. That's that's what a thousand acres means. It's a lot of land. Um, I looked at it. So in the process of doing the house, um, there was there there is still and there was previously last year, you know, some incentive programs within the state and some federal ones to do some some solar, but it was still it's just still so expensive right now to be able to get enough solar. Um, it was we're still looking at a twenty twenty. 25 year plus, you know, for it to pay Break itself off. Yeah. And, and the business side of me is like, well, I mean, I just, it's just not worth it yet to be to do something like that. So no. I don't know. I mean, I think um, I, I, I would love to, um, but there's also things that are, are um, at, the, at the individual level, we, we, people are generally rational. No one's really, you know, people do what they generally believe and they, what they value. And there's just other things in life that for me are a higher value right now than getting off of the grid. Um, if that changes, if those priorities rearrange, like, no, I need to get off the grid, then I'll figure out a way to do that. And I'll do the same thing. Like, all right, what's, what are my possibilities? You know, is there some wind solar combination um, that I could look at to, to make that happen? I mean, it is such an interesting equation. I mean, it's kind of like we were talking a little bit about kind of the business aspect of, you know, the triple bottom line or quadruple bottom line or whatever. And there, there has to be a point that, that it, it, it makes sense financially as well. There is a, I mean, it's, it's an interesting just equation that says, you know, I'm willing to pay a little bit extra because I believe in this, you yeah. know, whatever. I'm not willing to pay a ridiculous amount extra because I don't believe in it you know, that to much. the point that, that it, you just throw economics completely out the window. Sure. But it is interesting, but the, it seems like we're getting closer and closer all the time to, to feasibility, economic feasibility for 
some of these measures, whether it's solar or wind or, or whatever that is, sure. and especially solar. Um, but what about uh, like, what do you envision and what have you seen from around the electric vehicle space? Um, I'm curious to hear your take on that, because it seems like it's just like in the last two or three years. I mean, you know, we always had kind of the Nissan Leaf out there that, you know, the, yeah. the person that would drive a cute. Prius I mean, it was, hybrid. It was, yeah, it was a cute it was little idea. Yeah, it was cute thing. It was great for commuters in a very specific uh, scenario. Um, not too far from us, Rivian is producing trucks and more heavy duty type of trucks and vehicles. And, um, and I think the usages of, I, as far as I know, Tesla's still working on their uh, larger tractor trailer semi type rollout of something. Um, as, as we get greater and greater adoption, it becomes more and more feasible to do something. I, now, I, I don't know, um, but from what I'm still seeing at this point is that we still have grid issues that if everything switched over tomorrow, we don't have the grid to support that. Right. So even if individual homes are set up with the charging ports available for charging their own vehicles, the grid couldn't handle that type of power surge or power requirement uh, to be able to pull it off. So I, I think it's like everything is that we have to look at, we have to look at the interrelationships across all these different areas between um, governance and just people's behavior and perception. I think we've crossed the barrier now where people realize electric is cool. It's no longer just cute. Right. But once, you have, once you have a Tesla Roadster that just can haul and take off really quick and look sharp, now people are like, all right, I, I see it. And, and now we're getting into trucks and you've got, you know, the commercials that came up with last year of F-250s that can power your house and all that kind yep. of stuff. Now yep. you're like, now it's getting into, there's other uses, potential things for it. So we're there now. And now I think we're just getting into the, um, what it, what's the infrastructure uh, constraints and requirements going to look like? But people, we've got farmers around here that are dropping 75 to $80,000 on trucks. Yep. Yeah, and that's, I mean, a diesel truck versus an electric truck that might cost a hundred. I mean, it, it it's getting closer and closer. I mean, the kind yeah, of equilibrium absolutely. and that, that, like you said, the tipping point. So now what a way to, to wrap us up today, just the whole idea of, of you know, it's, it really is, it, it's a bigger conversation than just saying, yeah, I want to do this or whatever, because I, I love the way you kind of framed the, the whole idea about how the grid works, you know, the, the, all these different infrastructures have to work together and it will take sure. time to get there but it's got to start with somebody it's got to start with the, you know the, yeah. the individuals the communities the municipalities the states that are taking the the step and the initiatives you know to to get us to that point and really to care to have a, a quadruple bottom line mentality and care about you know this domain that we that we live in so and wrap us up with with any any closing thought you have yeah i think um I mean, the space that I enjoy the most is the aspect of how do I link what I do as a business or as a, as a business professional or a company owner as an entrepreneur to a problem that I care about? And how do I do that well? And realizing that just because we were talking about there's responsibility at the individual level, um, there's responsibility at the organizational level, and there's responsibility at the, at the community level of things that we do. And there's a lot of times we rush in to solve a problem fast and that can make it worse. So realizing that, yeah, it takes time, um, that I need to work with the people who are most impacted by it and allow mm, them yeah. to come up with the solution yeah. rather than saying, well, I know I'm, I'm successful. 
let me tell you what you should be doing because you clearly don't know how to do this for yourself. No, like if you lived in their shoes, you would see that. So it takes time. A lot of people that are impacted come up with the idea. Find out, we always dive in and find out where, where are people lacking. So rather than come on and say, well, what are they missing? Start with what do they have and what's the next win look like for them? And that's, that's where we just discover all those relationships. Because a lot of times it's not that they don't have a resource. They just don't believe that it's going to matter. Um, and it's going to make a difference. And like, could we, yeah, we could all switch, but will it matter? Like, will, will, will it have an impact on something if we do? We could recycle, um, but what impact is that really going to have with just me or if it's just our town on something? So I think there's, there's a lot of relationships and a lot of parts and a lot of people, um, which can keep people from not doing something. But that's not the answer either. You know, right. someone's got to do it, even though it doesn't make sense to start. It's just that first person looks kind of crazy. Then you get enough people out there saying, well, I know they're intelligent, so they're not doing something dumb. They're doing something that's not the norm. But why are they doing something that's outside the norm right now and kind of going from there? Man, I, I love that. You know, it, it, it's, it's got to start somewhere. You know, you've yeah. got to do something. We we have to do something. You know, in this in this whole space, and and I love the way that you just uh, wrapped us up today with this whole conversation we're talking about. You know, what does it look like to talk about sustainability? You know, renewable energy and the passion behind the movement. Evan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having. Me.